Uh, Hear now the reading of God's Word as we find it in Isaiah chapter 48 and verses 1 to 11. So I invite your reverent and faithful hearing of God's Word. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. For they call themselves after the holy city and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. Because I know that you are obstinate and your neck is as iron sinew, and your forehead brass. I declared them to you from of old. Before they came to pass, I announced them to you, lest you should say, my idol did them, my carved image and my metal image commanded them. You have heard, now see all this, and will you not declare it? From this time forth, I announce to you new things hidden things that you have not known. They are created now, not long ago. Before today, you have never heard of them, lest you should say, Behold, I knew them. You have never heard, you have never known. From of old, your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from before birth, you were called a rebel. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. One of the great blessings of uh, the scriptures is the promise uh, that uh, God on occasion is uh, angry with us. And yet what always follows uh, his anger is his grace. And so in that regard, thank God that he is not finished with any of us. Uh, But his uh, promises are going to break forth in the fullness of the providence of God, and they're going to achieve his purposes to glorify himself. That statement is, of course, obviously true of the church, but it's also true of uh, ethnic Israel. And that is uh, where we begin this morning. God is uh, angry at the nation. We know why. We've been studying the theme of idolatry, and they have uh, forsaken God for images, uh, found the blessings of life in images, things, and so God, as uh, he should, is going to rebuke them, and here he's going to rebuke them for their nominalism, their idolatry, and for the lack of witness, uh, verses 1 to 8, and yet God is going to save uh, his people, verses 9 to 11. Uh, Let's begin with rebuke. Uh, I wish it was all promise, but it's not. 
begins with a rebuke. We don't like to be rebuked, do we? I suspect every child in this room would say, I don't like it, and I suspect the adults as well. Uh, we all reject uh, being rebuked, but isn't it interesting that the Apostle Paul says all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for reproof, isn't it? The Scriptures rebuke us, they reprove us, and thank God reproof is most often, if not always, followed by the promises of God uh, to His people. Uh, the text begins with uh, rebuke, hear this. Uh, it's a strong word to hear the word of God. Why is that? Because they have not been hearing the word of God, or if they have heard it, they have rejected it. Uh, this, uh, this word here, interestingly enough, uh, is used uh, uh, six times in these 11 verses. I think illustration of the importance of hearing the word of the Lord that's central to the life of the people of God and central to the life of the church is hearing the word of the Lord. That's a lesson that should not be lost on any of us. Uh, so let's begin with a rebuke. The first rebuke, verses 1 to 2, is their nominalism. And by that I mean they are faithful to God in name only. It's not only a disease in uh, historic Israel. It's, I'm not so sure it's not an epidemic disease in the life of the church today. Uh, the nominalism is expressed here in that they have the name, they have the lineage, and of course they have the profession of faith, but they are absent the reality. Uh, they use the name of the holy city invoking it as if God uh, manifests his blessing when we invoke uh, the name of Jerusalem or the name of Israel, or the name of the church, for that matter. Uh, uh, the prophet Jeremiah, I think, is beautiful. He says, uh, don't, uh, don't give yourself to lying words saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. It's almost as if they had made the temple of the Lord a good luck charm. If they rub the charm, God's going to bless them. Well, again, that's characteristic of nominalism because God doesn't bless us based on charms or some city or, for that matter, uh, ethnic lineage. Uh, he also says very uh, interestingly uh, uh, in verse 2, he says, you, you call yourselves after the holy city and you lean on the God of Israel. Uh, this word lean is often used of, of the placing of hands on the sacrificial animals in the Levitical system. Uh, in other words, they practice the ritual, uh, but it was all for outward show. It's a good reminder that we do practice ritual in Grace Bible Church. We come, we read the Word. Uh, we oftentimes have responsive readings. Uh, we on occasion partake of the sacraments. It's always a measure of ritual. But if it's absent the heart, if there's no greater meaning to it than just uh, the acting out of a play or pretending, again, it's just sheer nominalism. And it's absent the presence of God. I'm oftentimes reminded of... Uh, one of the great heroes of the Anglican Church, J.C. Ryle, he was deeply disturbed over the nominalism that was epidemic in the church uh, in the 1800s. Epidemic then, certainly pandemic today, just simply acting out, uh, going to church, saying a few things, leaving, and then forgetting. 
Uh, we need the constant reminder that God should always be in our thoughts, and it's not one day, it's every day. It's not one hour on a Sunday, it's every hour belongs to God. Uh, of course, in terms of ethnic Israel, their bona fides were impeccable until you come to the last phrase of the first verse. But not in truth, nor in righteousness. They rejected the truth of God, and they didn't live it even though they used the name, they practiced the ritual, they hung around the temple, but they were absent that which was essential. It means their faith was empty. They had all of the external entrapments minus the heart. And I simply tell you, as we should all be reminded over and over again, it's always the heart. That the hearing of the word of the Lord is an event that's to engage the heart. Look at the second rebuke, verses 3 to 5. Uh, it's a rebuke of their idolatry. Uh, we know that from verse 4. You're an obstinate, hard people, and your neck is an iron sinew, and your forehead is of bronze. Uh, the expression of idolatry here is uh, found in two ways. I've just looked at the first. Uh, speaks to their spiritual transformation in a negative way. The description is very, very instructive in verse 4 because it's an illustration that their idols have transformed them in a horrendous way and made them over. Illustration, by the way, of the fact that sometimes events are transformational. Uh, sir, it's true in our culture. I was reading uh, in the Wall Street Journal, I believe it was, a couple weeks ago uh, about uh, the love affair that our children uh, have with modern-day telephones. And the social scientists have said just an incredible infatuation with phones. And again, I'm not trying to make out that phones are idols, but I'm going to establish, I think, through the social scientists that phones sometimes become transfer transformational. Uh, you see people staring at them as they walk, running into things or tripping over things because of what they're looking at. And so how has it transformed our young people? One social scientist says our young people are lonely. They've cut themselves off from interaction with people because they do it on their phones. And life is about relationships, and phones don't capture that. I'm not saying throw your phone away. They're important. The technology is very important, but they are our servants, not our masters. Why is it that our young people are lonely? Again, it's anecdotal to me, but just simply parroting a prominent social scientist. More than that, our young people are losing their attention span. Why? Because everything is instantaneous on a phone. And so many young people don't read books from beginning to end because that takes time and dedication. And on your iPhone, you get everything in a moment, everything at a glance. And then when you're finished with it, you delete it and move on. You can't do that with a book that you're interacting with. And certainly that's radically important in terms of hearing the word of the Lord. And that while you may be lonely, your engagement in the corporate fellowship of the life, the church, is the major instrument of God because we are not individual Christians. We belong to the body of Christ. We interact with the people of God. And all that that means and difficulty in dealing with people 
and recognizing the grace of God that he dealt with us in his mercy and grace. But in this case, they have been serving idols, and it's changed them, transformed them. The imagery, again, keep in mind, he says your forehead is as bronze, your, your neck is an iron sinew. Where does that come from? They've become like something. What has it? What is it that they have become like? Let's turn in our Old Testament to Exodus chapter 32 because it's a startling reality that people become like the gods that they serve and they've been serving idols. Uh, this is one of the great historic events in the life of the nation. Uh, while Moses is on the mountain receiving the word of the Lord, what do they do? They begin to serve an idol. Exodus chapter 32. In verses 8 and 9. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Literally, they are stiff-necked. A molten calf has a bronze forehead and a stiff neck. What's happened to them? They become stiff necked. In other words, literally before their very eyes, in worshiping the molten calf, they have been transformed spiritually into its image. It's exactly what the prophet Isaiah is saying to the people in the rebuke of God to Israel. You have become stiff necked. Be very careful of the things that you give your life to because they are life changing events. Constant reminder of Scripture. We give ourselves to the Word of the Lord. We give ourselves to service for Jesus Christ to be transformed as a people who bear the image of God into His image that's to be expressed in our lives. In other words, they are exhibiting the spiritual qualities of the lifeless calf that they have worshipped. So they're hard and therefore resistant to the Word of God. Our application's what? Hear the word, more importantly, incorporate it into your heart by obeying it, keeping it, following it, and serving it, lest you follow, follow idols. God, of course, has been faithful to proclaim his word to them in spite of their idolatry. He promises, he acts, it comes to pass through him and not the idols. Look at the secondary effect of their idolatry. This is quite tragic, I think. Uh, verse 5, I declared to you long ago, before it took place, I proclaimed these things to you. Why did God do that? Notice the answer. Lest you should say, my idol has done it. They're attributing the majesty of God's provisions to their idols, the Blessings of God to their idols. Interesting, is it not? Uh, God has historically redeemed His people. He's going to do again. Release them from Babylonian captivity. He wants to tell it to them in advance so they won't attribute it to their idols. The logic is perverse, but nonetheless, it is the commentary of the prophet nation of Israel. I read an illustration of this. I, I certainly uh, hope 
that I misunderstood what I was reading, but uh, at an event at a very prominent church uh, here in Oklahoma City, and worldwide for that matter, downtown Oklahoma City, I presume it was in downtown Oklahoma City, uh, because the venue was so large, there wouldn't be any church in Oklahoma City able to hold uh, the number of people attending it, and it was to acknowledge the life, I presume, of a godly man. I hope uh, a godly man. It troubled me that they had a piece of his body there. And you could touch it and get a blessing. Really? A bone? What's with that? You can touch a bone and get a blessing? Although blessings came from God, not through bones. I was in Europe this last summer and I went into a church. The gold and the silver were staggering in terms of the physical beauty. That had an entire sarcophagus there. For what reason would you have the bones, the entire bones and skeletal systems of a dead man when we worship the Lord God of all life? But I'm simply telling you, if you truly believe that you can touch the bone of a dead man and be blessed by God, then I'm not so sure she's not engaging in idolatry. Because blessings don't come from bones. From pieces of cloth. Splinters of wood. I mean, I hear this on occasion. Not so much in the last couple of decades, but you know, send me a check and I'll send you a splinter of the cross. Really? Really? What's a splinter of the cross going to do for you? We, we worship a risen Savior. Uh, my favorite, perhaps well-worn illustration, if you're traveling east on I-40, you go by the turnoff to the city of Prague, and there are signs there. Go see the infant Jesus. And really, a doll is going to bless me? It's a picture, I think, that people misunderstand, that God doesn't manifest His presence in an image that we make because that doll was made by human hands. And God does not contain the majesty of His presence or His glory in something made by men the way of man. We have a way of worshiping something that we can see, but our God is invisible. And He blesses us through Jesus Christ, not bones and pieces of wood or some cloth that somebody sells us. But that's our culture. The culture that's present today was certainly epidemic in the nation of Israel in the days of the Babylonian captivity. God says, I'm going to tell you about redemption in the future so you won't attribute my blessings to idols. He says, again, there's a further uh, reference to the tragedy of their idolatry expressed in the eighth verse of the text in their transformation. Uh, he says, I've called you to hear, but you have not heard and you've not known. You've dealt treacherously with me. Why isn't it that they haven't heard? I mean, they have heard. How can the prophet say that uh, you have not heard? 
It's because, again, they're being transformed to age-old reference to idolatry. Psalm 115. Idols have ears, but they cannot hear. The eighth verse of Psalm 115 is you've become like your idols. You've been transformed. What a great reminder not to worship an idol because you will become lifeless just like the idol. Idols have ears, but they cannot hear. We are to hear by the Spirit of God the word of the Lord. Take care what you worship, lest it transform you. Their nominalism has led them astray. Their idolatry has led them astray. God is rebuking them. I understand no one likes to be rebuked. Exactly what the Word of the Lord is doing. Uh, Maybe you should uh, be careful about what you call your good luck charm. Really? If you believe in luck, then you're saying something other than God blesses me. One of my favorite sports figures, a gentleman who came to Christ early in his life, pardon me, late in life and then died, a great basketball player, Pete Maravich. What a great dribbler, incredible athlete. Played basketball, never washed his, never washed his socks. Really? Wearing the same socks over and over and over, that brings you victory? No, my friends, it was God who gave him a skill and devotion, and hard work. Not his dirty socks, but that's what happens to all of us, is it not? That's epidemic in the sports world. Baseball players, football players have their ritual before the game, do certain things in the same way as if that will lead to victory. My friend, God blesses us. Don't attribute it to socks or things or some human ritual. So it's not just the life of historic Israel. It's present in our world today in epidemic proportion. By the way, this is expressed in a rebuke to the church. The words of our Lord. This particular rebuke is found five times to five different churches. Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3. I'm just going to look at one of them because of time. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7, Jesus says to the churches, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's based on the concept of idolatry. The church has been compromising its faith, and in compromising the faith, it's been transformed so that some in the church are losing their ability to hear and respond to the Word of God. And so God says to those who can still hear, hear the word and stop compromising. It's a reminder that the problem with idolatry is not just historic Israel, not just contemporary America. Revelation chapter 2 and 3, five of the seven churches being transformed by losing their ability to hear the word of the Lord and respond to it with alacrity because God has spoken. Hear the word of the Lord, not just as an auditory event, but to respond.
third rebuke. Uh, they have, verses 6 to 8, they have failed in their commission uh, to witness to God. See, God called Israel, book of Exodus, to be a kingdom of priests to advance his glorious name. They failed in that, so what does he do? He sends them off to Babylon in captivity. He's going to set them free. Why? So they can just return to the land? So they can rebuild another temple? No, so that they would be witnesses of his glory. Let's look at one text in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43, in verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. That God's election, God's choice of you, sovereign though it is, is always purposeful. He chooses you to be a witness, to manifest His glorious presence, to extend the boundaries of His kingdom uh, through His witnesses. Like the church. Jesus gives to the church the great commission. Not just great suggestions. It's a great commission. The church is to witness to His glorious name. What we read about their witness in Isaiah chapter 48 is they were faithless. The New American Standard in verse 8 says treacherous. This word treacherous, oftentimes used in the Old Testament of unfaithfulness in marriage. Again, the prophet Jeremiah. Chapter 9 and second verse, rebuke to the nation for their spiritual treachery. Oh, oh, that I had in the desert a wayfarer's lodging place, that I might leave my people and go from them, for all of them are adulterers. That's our word, treacherous. They have joined themselves to the gods of the nations and rejected the one true God of Scripture. They have breached their duty before God. I think it's astounding, attributing divine blessings to idols. It's reminded to us not to engage in pretending or disloyalty. So these are three rebukes. Nominalism. If J.C. Ryle were alive today, he would be invoking the same danger. Another prominent figure who wrote tirelessly about nominalism in the church, Arthur Pink. It's over and over again. We have a way of thinking, I can go to a building on any given Sunday morning and finish my duties and be done with it and go home and live however I want to live. In name only. Idolatry. Rubbing a coin. Not changing your sock. Probably not something any of y'all engage in. But nonetheless, uh, we do that and we uh, engage in rituals and we think the rituals cause success in life. God is the author of our blessings. Even in physical life. We carry around coins with uh, the images of saints upon them. And we think from those saints we have protection. No, God is our protector. 
from ages past. He is our protector, not some saint. Lastly, we forget, do we not, that God has placed us here to witness of His grandeur and His glory. I understand we all have careers, we all have families, we all have duties of life, but the greater duty, the greater career behind everything is to witness to the grandeur and the majesty of the God who redeems His people. It's a mission statement of Grace Bible Church to witness of the glory of God, of the Word of God. Something that you should buy into. Uh, so God is rebuking them. Now we would think after such hot rebuke over and over and over again, I mean, none of this text is the first time. It's been over and over and over again if you've been coming and hearing the word of the Lord from the prophet Isaiah that God's going to say, I'm done with you guys. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. No, God is gracious to His people. Thank God that He is. He's not finished with Israel. And by Israel, I mean ethnic Israel. He still has a purpose and a plan. And let's look at that. God promises again, verses 9 to 11. He says, I'm going to restrain myself because I'm long-suffering and I'm not going to cut you off. It attests to His grace. But He acts not for them. He acts for His glory. Isaiah chapter 48, 11th verse. My own sake, for my own sake I will act. For how can my name be profaned and my glory I will not give to another? God's going to reestablish His purposes because the Word of God cannot fail and neither can God fail. So this rebuke now turns into a promise. Now, I would simply remind you that we, all of us need spiritual reproof. That's why we have the Scripture uh, and yet we also have the majesty of the promises of God and salvation. Uh, there is a hint here of a near fulfillment in the prophet Isaiah as to how that promise is going to be instituted. What happens and follows Isaiah chapter 48, and I'm not being pedantic, it's Isaiah chapter 49. And there we pick up the answer to how God is going to do it in the second servant song that testifies to the Lord Jesus Christ coming, I believe, as true Israel. Because the commission, nation of Israel is going to fail at it. He's going to pick it up and restart it and fulfill his eternal purposes. Very instructive that he has called the nation his servant, his witness, and he does the same thing in the servant song to Jesus, who is the ultimate service, who will fulfill where the nation has failed. By the way, that's the grace of God. All of us as Christians fail. And yet God will succeed because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to start over in Messiah. It's going to amplify not only in Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53, speaking, I believe, of the coming of Christ. At least the New Testament authors validate that. In the coming of Christ, he's going to deal with sin because that's the greater problem, not only of the nation, but of all of us. He will change hearts because that's what God does. He will remove the causes of offense between God and His people in reconciliation. And He's going to reconstitute 
through Israel. We, God's grace and God's favor, if we have the occasion to study Isaiah 49, you'll see the Lord calling the servant, son, I believe an individual, his servant, and he will call them also Israel, meaning that God is going to start over with an ethnic Jew by the name of Jesus Christ. And he will be faithful to his commission and his calling and will succeed where Israel in the flesh fail. So the promises of God are not going to fail. It's just where and in whom will they be fulfilled? And the answer, Isaiah chapter 49, is in the servant son. Let's remind ourselves of this. Uh, Isaiah chapter 48, hear the word of the Lord. Six times in 11 verses, hear the word of the Lord. What happens at the Gospel of John? In the beginning was the Word. The Word of God comes incarnate in Jesus Christ. God is going to establish His glory. Isaiah chapter 48 has told us that. What do we have in John chapter 1 and verse 14? And we beheld His, His glory. The glory of God manifested in the Son. John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus says, My words are spirit and are life. In other words, it's not just hearing the word of the Lord, it's hearing the words of life. You and I live in a culture of death. The word of God is a culture of life. The word of the Lord. So how is this going to be acted out in the great panorama of the majesty of God in Scripture in saving ethnic Israel? We begin, again, as I've suggested, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1, and the servant's son. So what does Jesus do? He comes. He saves. And he begins to call 12 apostles. A parallel to the 12 tribes of Israel. And they begin to take the message to the Gentiles. We're going to look at this over and over again in the mission statement of the servant's son that eventually passes to the church. Now, you and I know that the first part of the book of Acts is God dealing with Peter to take the message to Jews. Peter eventually goes to Cornelius, who's a Gentile. And then the book dramatically changed and God uses the apostle Paul to go to Gentiles and to reach the nations. Again, has God failed with respect to ethnic Israel. No, he's going to use Gentiles to make Israel jealous so they'll come back to God. It's a great panorama of the drama of redemption, the grace of God occurring today, but we know it will certainly occur in the future. Let's look at this in simply not my commentary. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 21. Uh, Moses says, to Israel, you've made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols, so I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. And so God's going to reach the Gentiles to make his people, his true Israel, jealous so that they will come back to him. That's a broad statement, the panorama of God dealing with his elect among ethnic Israel. Perhaps told best by the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 11. 
Notice how he begins the chapter. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? No, what does he do? He begins to tell the story of 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal, an idol. That God always has a remnant. He's going to save that remnant. And by the way, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is, a remnant of true Israel. God has his saving purposes. Verses 25 to 27, Romans chapter 11. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel, again, ethnic Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and thus all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, he will remove ungodliness from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And so God is going to save all Israel. How is all Israel defined in Romans chapter 11? In the concept of a remnant. The apostle Paul is a true remnant. The 7,000 is a true remnant. God is going to save all his elect from ethnic Israel. Just as God is going to save all his elect among the nations. Because the purposes of God cannot fail. How is he going to do that? Isaiah tells us, so does the Apostle Paul. Gentiles are going to come to the faith. They're going to relish and enjoy the messianic promises, and God will use that to cause some among the nation of Israel to become jealous and therefore return to the God of Scripture, the promises of God being fulfilled. That's the mystery that God is going to use the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy and God will use that to save his elect among the nation of Israel. And he will save them all, and none will be lost. Just as is true in the Gentile church, he saves all of his elect. And among ethnic Israel, he will save all of his elect. The saving purposes of God, God fulfilling his promises, God giving his glory to the Son of God, manifesting the counsel, predetermined will of God in purchasing his people all through Christ. Christ and Christ again. And the Apostle Paul is so struck by the grandeur of the panorama of God's purposes being fulfilled that he closes out Romans chapter 11 Verse 36, for from and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Again, in a spectrum, God accomplishing his glory spoken of in Isaiah chapter 48. The grandeur of God. That God's promises are irrevocable. The word of God will not fail. God will achieve his purposes through Jesus Christ and through the Gentile church that will eventually provoke Israel to jealousy, and all Israel will be saved. The grandeur, the panorama that causes the Apostle Paul in 1136, the book of Romans, to break out in the praise of God, the glory of God. It all is going to happen. It will all be accomplished. Nothing will fail. I will tell you, as I'm sure most of you can appreciate, uh, most of the endeavors that I engage in fail. Or I muck them up so poorly someone has to come behind me and fix it. 
because I've broken. You know what? That doesn't happen with respect to the promises of God and salvation. He makes no mistakes. There are no errors. There are no mulligans. There are no do-overs. He accomplishes his will in his servant son and raising up many sons to claim his glorious presence. And so what a great promise. All of us need to take reproof to heart. Reproof the word of God. Don't be a nominal Christian. Engage your heart. Don't engage in idolatry. Don't use words like luck. There is no luck. It's the sovereignty of God. If you have some good luck image, maybe you need to get rid of the image. A saint doesn't bring you luck. God takes care of his people. Remember Pete Maravich. Yes, you can wash your socks and you can still win games. Because it's not dirty socks that bring victory. It's the provision of a gracious God. And I'm speaking, of course, more grand scale in God's salvific purposes. Be very careful of your forsaking your commission. Lots of times people say, well, when I graduate from school, I'll have more time. Well, when I achieve the next promotion, I'll have more time. My friend, God commissions you. He elects you, He saves you, and He commissions you to expand the boundaries of His glorious presence. Let's remember that God is not finished with Israel, and He's not finished with any of us in accomplishing His purposes. Thank God it's a matter of grace seen most beautifully in the gift of His Son, and then delaying until he gather all of his elect, for none will be lost. Thank God. Thank God there's salvation in Christ. If you're not a Christian, you know not the blessings of God. They come only through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And in him there's every blessing, every promise, every fulfillment, and every good gift. May God be gracious to you to hear his reproof and to drive you by his sovereign grace into the arms of his beloved son. And may God bless all of us to that end. For in Christ are the fullness of the blessings of our great God.